We're going to be in Matthew 11 today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip over there. If you don't, of course, the words will be on the wall. But you might find it better to, to read along. And if a preacher drones on on a point, you might read ahead of him. I don't know. It might happen. Um, but we're going to be there today. A kindergarten teacher was observing her classroom as they were drawing pictures during art time. One little girl was working diligently and had her head down absorbed in the masterpiece that she was creating. And the teacher called to her and said, well, what are you drawing over there, Sally? Sally didn't look up. She just said, I'm drawing God. And the teacher paused a second and said, but nobody knows what gods look like. And Sally just said, they will in a minute. <laughs> we get a kick sometimes out of, um, out of kids and their views of what they think God is like and their innocence and, you know, and, and sometimes not getting things exactly right. Um, here's a few examples from... From some Sunday school teachers talking about kids in their classroom. There was one uh, that made the statement the first book in the Bible, Genesis, in that book, God got tired of creating the world, so he took the Sabbath off. Another child wrote Noah's wife's name was Joan of Ark. Another one wrote, Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire by night. <laughs> and another one, guys, listen up. Another one said, the first commandment in the Bible is when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. I'll let that one sink in a little bit. We laugh because, you know, kids and their misunderstandings and their innocence and not getting it right. It, it, it's, and kids sometimes have what, what we view to be a silly assumption um, because of what they thought they heard. But think about it just a moment. How often do we have a concept of God that's based on some preconception but really isn't found in scripture there are times when our views of God are based on wrong or partial information and we find that here in Matthew 11 this section we're going to be reading about today a little bit of context um, from uh, where we are as Matthew is telling the story of Jesus uh, up to this point Jesus has already been baptized by John spent 40 days in the desert, preached that radical sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He has called disciples to him. He has engaged the Pharisees. He's raised a dead girl. He's opened the eyes of a blind man, and he's performed many other miracles. And he has already sent the 12 out on their first solo mission without him. So there's a lot that has happened between Old chapter 3 and chapter 11 where we are this morning. 
And in chapter 11, we see John the Baptist, the last person who we would expect to ever have any doubt about Jesus being the Messiah, expressing that very questioning doubt and maybe even some discouragement. We read there in beginning in uh, verse 2. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, if you're here today, if you're listening online, and, and you've trusted the Lord, and you have taken him as, as Savior and made him Lord of your life, and Somewhere along the way, you have experienced some doubt, some discouragement concerning your faith as to whether or not Jesus really is for real. I've got some good news for you today. You are not alone. In fact, you're in some very good company. You've heard me say this before. I believe it to be absolute truth. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is disobedience. Because when you stop to think about it, you can question and hold a little bit of wonder and still do the next right thing. And I'll give you some encouragement as well. If in those low moments you continue to do the next right thing, you will find that God is there with you. But for John, of all people, his uncertainty strikes me as being a little little odd. You may remember that John baptized Jesus in the Jordan. He saw the heavens open. He saw the Spirit descend. He heard the voice from heaven. It was John the Baptist a few days later who pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet he is here asking this question. Of Jesus. Why? Well, let's get a little bit of perspective here. We know John was an outspoken guy, he was an outdoorsman. People saw him as an oddity, but many came to him and listened to him. And his message was a message of preparation and judgment. He had harsh words for many people, including Herod Antipas, otherwise known as Herod the Tetrarch, who was uh, the ruler in Judah from about 4 B.C. to about uh, 39 A.D. He was the son of Herod the Great. So Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, was very much like his dad. He was very cruel and corrupt. 
In fact, he became enamored with his half-brother's wife, who, by the way, was the daughter of another brother, another half-brother. So she was not just his brother's wife, she was also his niece. And after a tryst, she left him and married uh, Antipas. And John the Baptist called him out for this sinful act. Herod, at first fearful of John and then later imprisoned him, perhaps to silence his rebukes, is the one who had John beheaded. You can read that story. Mark 6 is a good place to see the detail. So here's John, this John, sitting in a dungeon, hearing what Jesus has been doing and uh, since he baptized him. And the likely possibility is John is there waiting the punishment that Herod Antipas is going to put on him. And he's there because he spoke against sin and against those like Herod who were steeped in it. Many of the Jews, including Jesus' disciples, expected Messiah to be an earthly king, to throw off the yoke of the Roman tyranny and slavery. I might wonder if John may have had a little bit of that as well. With all the news that John heard about Jesus, about his message of forgiveness, about the healings he was doing, perhaps John might have been wondering whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, the, the promised one from Holy Scripture who was supposed to come and reign before we look at Jesus answer let me say this never fear to ask God an honest question we know he knows everything yes so he knows when we're angry with him he knows when we may have doubts he knows when our lives are in turmoil. But he's always there willing to listen. He's always there. And if he already knows what's on your heart, don't be afraid to ask him an honest question. If there's something that's bugging you about God, you can ask him. Or you can ask one of our Sunday school teachers or one of our small group leaders or one of the elders or come and ask me or seek it out in your own study of God's word. But friend, God never rebukes someone for asking an honest question. And Jesus doesn't rebuke John here either. Let's look at verse 4. Jesus replied, 
Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is preached to the poor. By the way, that's exactly what Isaiah said the Messiah would do. We're not going to get off on that today, but you can go back and look in Isaiah. He said these things Messiah would do. And Jesus says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now that sentence right there, that's verse 6. That's our memory verse for today. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Of Jesus, but you notice Jesus didn't answer the question directly. He didn't say, Yes, go back and tell John I'm the Messiah. In fact, to some extent, he he kind of avoids that question. But what he does say is look at what I am doing and draw your own conclusions. And friends, I would tell you, that is what he is still saying today. We can say that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the only way to God. We can talk about that till the cows come home. But what we really need to do is point people to what Jesus has done that he died for us that he was willing to give up his life for our lives and that he is in the world today and that your faith is making a difference in the way you live life he is still making us whole and that is good news for someone who needs to hear it. Let's go back to um, to this verse here. Blessed is the man who does not fall away. Um, there are some translations, some versions who uh, translate that as, as does not stumble. Now if you stumble, you're likely to still fall, right? But, but it's, it's that idea of, of, of a stumbling block when you stop to think about it. It's kind of like this. Don't get tripped up by the fact that I don't meet your preconceived notion or expectations. Look at what I have done and draw the right conclusion. If he's given that advice to John, should we not be looking at that advice as well? Not only does Jesus not rebuke John, but as soon as his disciples leave, he actually praises John to the crowd. Look there at verse 7, the very next verse. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? 
If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. High praise, yes? And then he says, yet he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men take hold of it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus turns to the crowd and demands, who who is John? Well, he wasn't a wimp. He wasn't a man with no courage, no moral fiber. He was not politically powerful. He didn't rule from from a palace, no. John was a prophet. But more than that, he was the subject of prophecy. In fact, Jesus quotes Malachi 3.1, but he changes it slightly. Malachi 3.1 says, uh, Malachi writes, prepare the way before me, and Jesus changes that to prepare the way before you. You catch it? It's slight, it's subtle, but it's there. In all subtlety, Jesus refers to himself as the Messiah. In fact, he's, it's like he's saying, hey, disciples, if you listen carefully, you will hear the answer. And by the way, in those times when we have, we have doubt, we have uncertainty, if we are listening to what God has to tell us, especially in his word, if you listen carefully, I bet you will hear the answer. This last part where Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven forcefully advancing, this has been the subject of a, of a lot of different debate. Some say that Jesus is referring to those that oppose him. Uh, As his kingdom advances, so the attacks against it advance. And that is true, isn't it? It was true for John. You know, John was forceful, and Herod Antipas sent him to his reward. 
You see, friends, the closer that you get to God, the more that you do for him, the more the enemy is going to target you. And in reality, Jesus is no wimp either. Jesus embodied agape, that for the good of the other person, selfless love. And friends, agape is not weakness. It is strength. Because it takes strength to have a supernatural love for those that are unlovable. It takes a supernatural strength to love those that are detestable, that are hurting, that are addicted, that are disillusioned, that are doubtful. You know, the people Jesus actually came and died on the cross for. See, agape is not weakness. It comes from a position of strength. And they're on your sheet. Agape is not weakness and the kingdom is advancing. We know and we see times when we have seen in different parts of the world Christianity just exploding. In fact, I heard this past week that 70 kids on the Michigan football team have given their life to Christ this season. There are times when we see it exploding. But don't you think those kids are going to see the attacks of the enemy coming? We need to be praying for them, for their strength, so that they will learn and grow and keep to that commitment that they have made. But friend, the kingdom is advancing. Don't miss it because of how you perceive it ought to be. See it for what it really is. Listen up. Don't miss it. Then Jesus paints a caricature of those who miss what's really going on. There at verse 16. He says, and what can I compare to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Think about that just a second. What is that? Hey, I did something and you're supposed to respond. You're supposed to respond the way I want you to, right? And if I play a happy song, you're supposed to be happy. And if I play a sad song, you're supposed to be sad. Why aren't you responding to me? Sounds like any kids you know. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking and they say, he has a demon. Then the son of man comes eating and drinking and they say, here is a glutton 
and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you hear what's going on? No matter what I say or do, you're going to take the opposite view than what's meant. You ever gotten an argument like that? You know, where the other person's kind of like in the position of saying, I've already got my mind made up, don't give me any facts. Yeah. People who are never satisfied. In English, we have a word for that. We say they are obstinate. In Hebrew, there's a, there's a word for it. It comes up a lot. Stiff neck. You ever heard that? Don't confuse me with facts. My mind is made up. When you tell them that what Jesus has done in your life and what he has given you and how your life is different, they're the ones that say, oh, you're just weak. That's a crutch. You tell them that there's only one way to God, and they say, well, you're just narrow-minded. And you tell them that Jesus is good, and they twist it around to make Christianity into something evil. Do you know what Jesus said his very next sentence here? He said, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. Oh, we know this one too, right? The proof is in the, the pudding. Yeah, we know this. This is, this is nothing new. The proof is in the pudding. In other words, actions speak louder than words. Look at the results. Look at the works. In this moment where John is wondering, Jesus doesn't argue theology. What he does is he demonstrates reality. There at verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because... They did not repent. What are we doing? We are watching the action, right? Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and actions. Tyre and Sidon, those are traditionally what cities? Who planted them? The Philistines, traditionally the enemies of Israel, yes? Yeah. You hear what he's saying? They would have repented long ago. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum. Will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. And the word that he uses here 
is the word Hades. Depths, Hades. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, do you know that city? Okay. It would have remained to this day. In other words, it wouldn't have been wiped off the face of the earth. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you, Capernaum, who was the central portion, the central place of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. He spent a lot of time there. Sodom and Gomorrah, they had no warning when God's destruction rained down like fire from the sky. But the people in these cities, Capernaum, Corazon, Bethsaida, and for that matter, all of this us, all of our cities here in America, we do have warning. Jesus didn't come the first time as a conquering king, Messiah. He came as a serving, suffering, savior, Messiah. But friend, that does not mean judgment is not coming. Even today, as we read the gospel account and we see for ourselves the miraculous things that Jesus did throughout his ministry and we look in the book of Acts and we see how God's spirit championed the early church and established a worldwide kingdom in less than a generation. And we look at the letters of Paul and we see how the gospel practically played out and changed the lives of Christians all over the known world. And when you look into your own life and into the lives of others today, seeing and knowing how they've changed, how they no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them. All of this points to the reality of who Jesus is and what we must do in response. You see, friend, one day everyone will be held accountable for witnessing works of Jesus Christ and what they did in response. And in the middle of all of this, and the questioning of John, the disciples coming, him praising John to the crowd, him reminding them that judgment is coming, Jesus stops and prays. 
Verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. John over in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23 says that the good news of Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. A stumbling block to the Jews who thought that God should fit within their mold. And foolishness to the Greeks who thought it was intellectually impossible that a God would sacrifice himself for mere mortals. But Jesus said that those who come to him with the faith of a child, they are the ones who will see the kingdom of heaven. So when John asked the question, are you really the one? Jesus replied, believe what you see, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Father God, we thank you, not only for all the good that we see in scripture, but also for the urgency that we see there. And how Jesus was calling his present generation and all generations since to no longer live for themselves, but to live for you. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have today that we may live in that good news and that we may share that good news with others. We pray, Father, that you will lend your spirit to these next few moments. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.